Canucks Central 2024. It's Tuesday, January 2nd. First show of the new year. Happy New Year to you and yours, as my nonna used to say. Happy New You. So, uh, Happy New You. Well, okay. everybody's making themselves a new them yeah. in, in the new year, right? I know Sad doesn't believe in uh, resolutions or anything like that. Hey, but, hey, hey do what you got to do. some of us other simps do, you know? <laughs> Hey, listen, I'm not saying don't use it as a time to better yourself. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's fine. It's very philosophical. Of I'm you. just saying you don't have to wait to the new year to do it. That's just <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> you don't need to wait for, uh, you know, 2024 to make it happen. But in any case, we are talking about how things are going to get better in the new year. Maybe not for us, because I don't know if you'd be really into that, but maybe for your <laughs> Vancouver Canucks as uh, 2023 ended... Well, let's let's put the Philadelphia loss aside. 2023 ended much better than it started for the Vancouver Canucks. This might seem like eons ago, but we were still in the midst of the Bruce Boudreaux era at the start of 2023. And, well, the year got progressively better as it went on. And they're one of the best teams in the National Hockey League to start this season and now you go into 2024 and I guess the question becomes Sat, how can this team get even better how can they continue to improve towards their goal of becoming a Stanley Cup contender there's the obvious external one in terms of what they need to bring in externally yes but in terms of what they could control what they can do right now and I think the the external one's an interesting discussion and we'll talk about it as well because when we talk about this team trying to better itself, it's not just about the players and the coaches trying to do it. It's also management being very active all the time and, and, and looking at different avenues to make the team better, of course. But in terms of what they can control themselves, for me, it's the number one thing is honestly special teams. Yeah. Because I, I just don't know if they're going to be an appreciably different team five on five with their current group like they might be pretty much what they are maybe get a little bit better we know what their peak looks like but i don't think all of a sudden dan they're gonna turn into this like high chance generating squad no that's not who they project to be that's you know because they are still uh an impact player or two short of being you know with the 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 true top top teams in the league you kind of have to make do with what you've got and what they've done is they've, for the most part, become a very solid defensive team mm-hmm. and take their opportunities when they get them with their high-end talent at five-on-five. Five. And generally, their power play has been a separator for them, even though more recently, it's not been all that good. The penalty kill, while it's been better than it was in years past, is still bottom third of the league. Yeah. So now you're talking about, over the last 20 games, you know, still a very mediocre penalty kill and now also a mediocre power play it's almost surprising that they've been able to have so much success like they yes okay the philly game wasn't nice they still only had two regulation losses in all of december so we could take a chill pill on one bad uh one bad performance against the philadelphia flyers i guess two for the course (laughs) of the season but nonetheless in december they only had two regulation losses It's kind of remarkable that they were as good as they were uh, through December without the power play clicking because that is essentially what did it for them early in the year and got them so many early wins this season. And it shows the growth of the team and why people are excited about the team 
even if they have ridden yeah. some per- percentages shooting percentage wise and all that is because they are finding different ways to win and they do have areas in their game that have been very strong defensively which has helped them they get great goaltending and they've been very opportunistic when with their chances and especially with their higher end type of players right so there's a lot of things to be positive about and, and happy about in terms of you know h- how the team has played and where they put themselves but in terms of really holding on to what you've created so far and we're talking about can you be a hundred and and I don't just mean a 100-point team. Right now, they're on pace for, what, 100 and, what, 12, 15 points, whatever it is. Yeah. Something along those lines. I haven't done the, the full projection. They can play 500 play. and still get to 96 points this yeah. year. Yeah. So they're on pace for, like, 115. But can you actually get to 106, 8? Yeah. Can you do that? Like, that's, that's to me, the goal for the team. And I think for you to get there, your special teams really have to turn around. Obviously, staying healthy is the, the biggest disclaimer, but that's, that's true for every single team, yes. right? But if they're special teams can become a huge strength all of a sudden because that's to see no reason why with their power play why they can't get back to where they've been but also the pk yeah go through this roster now there's guys who can pk yeah there's no reason why the pk should be middling they don't have to rely on uh, jt miller and elias Patterson to go out there on the power play they've got bluger now pew Suter has been a nice fit there and they have been a lot better the past like eight games yeah joshua's really developed into a decent pk guy and you know, even Hughes doesn't have to really do a power play, a uh, penalty kill job all that often for this team with the way that they, they're built now. And they should get Susie back soon enough. So, like, there's pieces on the PK for it to be better than it has been. It went through a sort of ugly spell and has yeah. rebounded a little bit in December. The power play, I'm... <sighs> I wonder how big of an issue the power play actually is. Now, they spent a lot of this practice time over the last couple of days exclusively working on the power play. Today's optional skate was essentially a power play Mm -hmm. skate so that they could work on some things. Rick Tockett said he feels like, you know, they did some things and they'll be able to translate it into the game tonight. At least that's his feeling on it all. And I don't need to recite the numbers for anybody. I mean, you can look it up. There's stories that have been written about it. It hasn't been good enough. Yeah. It hasn't. They're a lot better than they have shown recently. Over the last 20 games, they're 14%. I'm just still not worried about it. Yeah. You know, like for a power play that looked as good and as dynamic and performed as well as it did early in the season to just completely fall off a cliff, I, I just... I just don't expect it to stay cold forever, Sad. No, and, and one thing Talk had mentioned a couple of days ago was he'd be more concerned if they weren't generating some chances. And even against the Flyers, hey, they had no business winning that game, and they didn't. But they had yeah. a couple of chances on the power play. The backdoor play to Brock Bester, where, where the way things have gone for him this year, I was surprised he didn't score on that chance. Pedersen had a great opportunity. They've had some great chances where they haven't really finished. So I do think that's going to come. But I also believe when they were at their best earlier this season, when they had a lot of movement going on, they've been more stagnant, you know, and, and one thing Talk had mentioned today was guys are just looking to get to their spots where they're comfortable and then kind of just don't move. And this Which is, is kinda... where the power play got into trouble in the past. Exactly. And part of that is as the season goes on, it's hard to break up habits. Yes. You get into kind of your old habits a little bit too. And and I, th- and I think some of that's happened on the power play. And they're still generating chances. That, yes. That's how talented they are. But you're not maximizing your potential. But I do think the the blueprint's there. Yes. They've shown the track record of being able to be prolific on the man advantage. 
And I think that's going to get better. And I also think the PK is going to get better. I mentioned this to Bick on the postgame show a few days ago, a few games ago. I said, put a pin in it. But by the time we get to the trade deadline or later in the season, I think the Canucks PK will get into the top half of the league. Because you have a lot of guys that are good, and they've shown some real signs of getting better. The goal they allowed against the Flyers, I mean, it's a point shot through bodies, and it finds a way to get through. Like It's not it's a seeing-eye single. Those things happen every once in a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like they were getting broken down. It's like Chris Colabello in 2015. <laughs> just everything was finding a hole. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> That's essentially what happens when Igor Zamula is playing against the Vancouver Canucks. The penalty kill... I'm not as worried about it as other people, and I'm sure the text box is going to be like 650, 650. Uh, oh, here's Dan again being the, the homer of all homers, and everything's Wait, I thought peachy. You were, I thought you were negative. Well, according to some, I'm too negative. Okay. But <laughs> my uh, the, the point I was going to make is it feels uh, – they had a stretch there where they, they did look uncomfortable, and they started mm-hmm. to fall into bad habits and trying to overcome mistakes by other people yeah. and – you know, letting the seam pass open up and, and do some of those things that were crushing this team in, in past years. But I feel like a lot of their percentages on the penalty kill are inflated by the amount of five on three goals they've allowed and some of those things that or they've had a bad game here or there that really make it look worse than it has been. So I, I look at the penalty kill and I maybe I have a low standard because of how bad it was the last couple of years, but it does feel and look a lot better, especially with the way that it's played lately. I mean, it's I think it's something like 15 percent better than what it was at this point last year. That's that's OK. That's pretty good. <laughs> I think they were like 60 some percent. Yeah, it, it took them forever to get past 70 percent. <laughs> but this time last year, because they hadn't made the coaching change yet. Right. Yeah. When did they make the coaching change? It was late December, wasn't it, actually? Uh, last year? Yeah, last year. No, it was no. Uh, it was end of January. It was it was end of January. So they hadn't made the coaching change yet. And the PK was horrible. Like yeah. it was, you know, in 60-some percent. They're at 77%. I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but I know they were in the 60-some percent. So I think it's been at least 15% they've yeah. improved. So part of it, you're right. It's kind of like we have low standards because we've seen how bad it is. Like, well, I'm like, hey, last year we said, hey, just be like a normal bad. Can you yeah. just be like 72% bad or 73% bad? So being at almost 78%, sending at 20 fourth you know obviously we've seen worse the past couple of years so special teams can clearly get better for this team um i think that's a given with the power play and maybe tonight is the get right spot against the ottawa senators who have the worst penalty kill in the league to this point in the season but what else do they need to better themselves in the new year here sat like I think in terms of what they can do on the ice, can they figure out a shutdown line properly? Because they've kind of shifted for, from it being a JT, and then they try to make it the third line a little bit. Does it go back fed. to being JT with Hoaglander potentially stepping off that ah, line? That's kind of what it looks like, doesn't it? Yeah. Because as good as the third line is, and I think we saw them play the bigger matchup role against Philly, and they got absolutely fed by Couturier. Yeah. And the size and aggressiveness they had, they kind of swallowed them up, right? And that's where, as good as Garland is, as good as that third line is, it's very much a third line that can be very good as opposed to a matchup third line. It's a line. third line that can uh, really excel maybe against other teams' bottom sixes. Yeah, and even if they have the odd shift against the top six, I think they can handle it. Yeah. But if you're matching up pretty hard and mm-hmm. taking the hard matchups against them, it's asking a lot because that means you're going to be in a lot of precarious positions. You have yeah. to handle it. And if you're not 
super good in those situations, then it's going to be a long night for you. And we saw a lot of that, I thought, in, in stretches. And I think that's part of the reason why Hoaglander is coming out. But can they can they figure out a, a, a go-to trio? Yeah. I don't... Because of some of the odd fits still on the roster, and maybe maybe that's the wrong word, but... You're not going to use if you have Kuzmenko on your top line with Elias Pettersson. You don't necessarily want to use that as a yeah. shutdown line. If you have those Hoglander with J.T. Miller and Brock Besser, they're going to have some issues being a shutdown line. They performed better earlier in the year with Phil DiGiuseppe, but even that started to to wane yeah. as it went on. So, is it just an imperfect situation where you're not going to be able to build that? You have players that can do it like you have Bluger that can excel in in a defensive role but do you have enough wingers that really profile as guys that can can help him in that sort of a situation well and and therein kind of lies a rub about what is the true ceiling of this team yeah and what else do they have to do but what you kind of mentioned there in terms of what they need speed forechecking yeah. a guy who can play that type of a role there's obviously the higher end version of those players that are super hard to find and they're very expensive to acquire yep could you settle for a guy who's maybe a quicker version of PDG? Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden, hey, it's not going to be this Another addition. Sam Lafferty type? Yeah, maybe, right? Like yeah. that type of player more so as opposed to the, the higher end type of guy. And all of a sudden you put him with JT and, and Besser. And maybe then you can experiment with somebody else other than Besser at times and see kind of where it goes. But really finding a guy that, that can go with JT who's big, is fast, and is really good defensively or at least solid defensively what i think there are different variations of that type of player and i and i would i wouldn't be surprised if they acquired that type of player yeah. whether it's a a lafferty type or higher end type by the by the deadline cuz i think that's kind of what's missing yeah obviously on the higher end you get a superstar or high level player then now you're you're cooking with gasoline right now you're really on to something but even if you're able to just marginally upgrade on it to give yourself at least somebody you can survive with going head-to-head against other top lines, then in the playoffs, you feel a lot better about your chances. They need somebody um, that brings more speed than Phil DiGiuseppe but has similar uh, tenacity that, that he can have when he's, when he's playing well. Um, it pains me to say that, but uh, we'll see if he's able to to find a little bit of what he had earlier in the season. He's got to play w- with his hair on fire. Yeah, right. Like all the, the time. All the time. That's the only way he can survive, and that's something that you know, uh, talk had also alluded to. But it's really difficult. Like yes. you're talking about a long season for you to play at that level of intensity. It's really difficult. Well, I think what Tockett mentioned today, he was asked about Hoaglander, essentially, who's uh, likely coming out of the lineup. Yeah. Tockett wouldn't commit to it yet, but. He said, you know, he's kind of in that range, and we have a few of these guys that are like 10 to 14-minute guys, and mm-hmm. sometimes you play them a little bit more when they're when they're hot, and then, you know, they start to cool off a little bit, and then they play a little bit less, and you bump them back down the lineup, and they're they're almost interchangeable. And right now, Hoaglander's not going as well as he was a couple of weeks ago. And it, it, it kind of tells you what he thinks, not in a negative way, but he, he sees knows Hoaglander as a complimentary player, a guy who you can use in certain spots when he's going well, and when he's not going as well and the warts of his game start to pop up a little bit more often, 
that's when he moves back down the lineup. And Di Giuseppe, other guys are like that too. Same thing. And for Hoaglander, as a, when he's hot, they've been riding him. Yeah. But as soon as that dries up a little bit and he doesn't do the things they want him to do, it's, it shows you how little trust there still is there, yeah. right? I think the biggest thing for you to you determine to determine with Hoaglander by the deadline is is he going to be a difference maker for you or is he going to be an asset for you? How much more is there to get out of this player? Yeah. And if there if you feel like that's either not worth the squeeze, yeah, or you're uncertain about where that's going to go. You have to cash in on him. Is you have Ho- to. Is Hoaglander's value to this team more in seeing out where his ceiling ends up being, or using him as a trade asset to get something they can acquire that is more of a known quantity? So, if I had to, um, let's say, predict how management would see it. I would guess he'd be more viewed as a trade chip. Right. As opposed to like, hey, we're, we're fully committed, come hell or high water, to make it work with this guy who we think can be this brilliant type of player, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean the pathway's not open for him to stay and be here, obviously, right? It's You can seize the opportunity and all that. But like I said before, you have to make a decision by this deadline. Everything we've seen from as much as he has one more year left, it's like he's got ten goals on the season. Yeah, you know this like, could be your sell high opportunity. Yeah, and if you don't, if you don't think it's going to work, you got to do it. And it's not about whether you like him as a fan or not. It's about is he going to work here, work here or not. Yeah, you know, and you have to be calculated about it. And I think this management team is super calculated. Everything they've done shows it. Yes, we saw the captain get traded here, the former captain, obviously. We saw them keep JT, and they've been super aggressive with everything they've done. I mean. It, like what I've heard is like Alvin every single day is like working his butt off. Yeah. Like every day he's on the phone trying to find ways to make his team better. Like, you know how the coaching staff's like day by day, like what can we do today to make the team better? Like it, it's like trick. It's like a straight line yeah. of alignment between management, coaching staff, and what they're trying to get the players to do and embrace. And in many cases they are embracing. Right. And the coach talks about, but it's like, apparently like Alvin every single day is like super focused and that management team is super focused on what can we do today? Like if, yeah. if today's our last day to get better, how do we get better? If you approach every day like that, well, it's not a coincidence they make so many trades. So well, I think they're going to be very aggressive and they're going to be very, you know, um, like I, th- I think they'll be cutthroat with decisions yeah. if, if things come their way. So if, if a guy like Hoaglander wants to be here, you got to find a way to earn your coach's trust. Yeah. You, you, you've got to keep playing well and get better, <laughs> you know, not see it wane as much. And when it, when the offense does dry up, are you still doing the things that keep you high in the lineup and trusted in a bigger role? You know, the thing I always heard about Patrick Alvine, and this goes back a few years even to when he was just like quietly starting to be on the radar for a potential general manager of the future, is that he is just incredibly prepared. And we heard all these things when he was eventually hired. My point is, it's been the book on mm. Patrick Alvine for a lot of years that this is the kind of prepared individual that he is. So does that mean it's going to result in success for the Vancouver Canucks? No, but uh, as we can see and with the resume, the trade resume already, you know, he is always working to see how he can make this team better. Now, the other part of this team that uh, I guess could improve, maybe not at the NHL level just quite yet, but organizationally, Patrick Alvin was actually speaking today, uh, spoke to TSN during the World Juniors, and uh, was asked about a timeline for Jonathan Lekaramaki, and uh, he essentially alluded to the idea of Lekaramaki maybe joining up with Abbotsford after the SHL season this year, and expecting to be a big part of training camp as early as next year. 
Yeah, and I think it all makes sense for a guy like Lakira Mackey. I mean, he's excelling. You yeah. know, and you're you're watching him play at a very high level at the World Juniors, of course. But even in the SHL this season, he's been super prolific. And yeah. when a player is having that type of success, that's when it's time for him to meet another challenge. And spending two years after being drafted in Sweden, I think, is enough. Yeah. Especially for a guy of his caliber. Now it's kind of test yourself at the AHL level. And I would view him as a player who you have to kind of forget about for the NHL level next season. And just view him as he's got to come to a- the AHL. Similar to Aturatu this year. Precisely. Yeah. And, and especially considering how slight he still is. And as talented as he is, he's still very raw. And by, by raw, I don't mean he doesn't have talent. By raw, I mean he's got a lot of talent that he hasn't really mastered or fully honed in yet. And I think you're seeing when you watch him, he's more than just a shooter. Yeah. Good playmaking skills, really smart player as well. Like when I watch him even development camp and when I watch some of his tape here and there, like he, he knows where to be and what to do. And that's going to go a long way at the AHL and NHL level with their coaches. So if he really hits it, there's a way maybe he'd even play some games at some point. But I think you have to view it as just put him out of sight, out of mind. Just let him play a full year in the AHL and see what he can do after that. It's uh, it's going to be interesting with, with him, like the shot. Right now watching at the World Juniors, it's like, wow, okay, his shot is like... Way better yes. <laughs> than this level uh, expects you to be, and uh, that's why he's uh, having so much success. He's taken a ton of shots. It is really a big part of that Swedish team. All the Canucks' top prospects are on that Sweden team. Uh, he also mentioned uh, Elias Pettersson, who's been uh, just a steady defender for them. He's a little bit older, and I guess we could maybe expect him to end up with Abbotsford pretty soon as well. Yeah, I think the, the hope is for him to come over by next year or two. Yeah. And, you know, he spent a few years there now to bring him over, see if he can acclimate him and get into a position where he can actually play some games for you, which I don't think he could be that far away from after a, a year in the AHL because of how his game kind of projects. Yeah, I don't know how high he's going to play up your lineup, but he's a guy that can probably play some games for you at some point. Yeah, he could be a, a role player on the back end. And of course, the other big piece is, is Tom Lander, who uh, is having a good year in college, has showed pretty well so far in this, uh, in this tournament. And... I, 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 I don't think really we should change our expectation of Tom Willander as we've always talked about. Probably two years in the NCAA is is at least the early timeline. Yeah, and Alvin was speaking with Swedish media as well uh, right. over the past of the past week, and he mentioned like their plan or at least how they're viewing Willander. And things can always change, but how they view Willander was spending two years in the NCAA, like probably going back there again next season. And we'll see if that changes, but I think that's kind of the plan for now. Um. Canada's also out at the World Junior Championship. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I've never been the guy that's, uh, you know, making too much of what that could mean. And I'm not going to be that guy today. It's just it uh, wasn't a good tournament for them. They didn't look great in, in a lot of the games, uh, even watching a little bit today. You know, they started slow and then tried to get back in the game. Tough bounce ends up losing the quarterfinal matchup against the Czechs. But... It just feels like we're getting to a stage where the gap is finally closing on Canada. And and I know yeah. this tournament doesn't really tell that story. Maybe it's a, a snapshot of it. But, you know, even just looking at some of the, the pieces that are going out about what a World Cup for next year could look like, and I'm like... Man, I don't know. It's a toss-up between Canada and the U.S. as to who's got the better roster. Oh, I don't disagree with the U.S. because I think the U.S. is... They don't obviously have the depth Canada has, yeah. but they have better goaltending. They yep. might have better defenders. Yeah. And their forwards on the high end, 
aren't Canada's level, but I mean, if you craft, you can find 12 really good forwards that are American, oh, like really, really good, good forwards, forwards yes. right? So the forward group's going to be a notch below Canada's, but not significantly below. You can say defense and goaltending's better, yeah. right? Like this might be the era where American hockey takes over globally a little bit, right? Or at least for one or two windows. But in terms of also talent coming up though, I mean, how, how different is Canada with Connor Bedard and Zach Benson? Right. Right. Like so, so I, I, you also have to always remember that. I mean, you, you don't oftentimes you have see, two eighteen-year-olds that are playing in the NHL that could have been on this roster. Yeah, I mean he, Fantilli yeah. as well. But now you can also make the case that obviously Leo Carlson could be playing for Sweden, and there are a few guys yeah. there. So there, there is you know obviously some guys you can point to. But typically, there is mostly the eighteen, nineteen-year-old Canadians who are breaking through early who can't play in that tournament. Um. It's it's going to be interesting. Those players were really heartbroken today, and uh, I, I know everybody wants to make it an existential crisis uh, and have a summit or something like that. I don't know if it's that. I just think, you know, quietly uh, the gap is closing on Canada, and that was always going to happen at some point. Um, just expect to, expect to see it if we yeah. ever get back to best-on-best best hockey prior to what we saw in 2010 and 2014 at the Olympic Games. Uh, it's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. Don Taylor is going to join us next on Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Welcome in our next guest, the legend himself, Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV, and he joins us every Monday here on Canuck Central. But uh, yesterday was New Year's Day, so he's joining us here on a Tuesday. Happy New Year, Donnie. Happy New Year, guys. Good to be here. Did you have a good holidays? Uh, really good. Low-key, we had a lot of stuff going. We have both big, big, big families on both sides, uh, my wife and I, and uh, a lot going on at the start of the holidays and the last few uh, last few days sitting around. It's been great. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a good time of year, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we always uh, associate this time of year now as hockey fans with uh, the World Junior Championship. We were just yeah. uh, talking about Canada being ousted uh, a little bit, and I always think we, we get a little too um, – there's always a little bit too much hyperbole on on what it means. I think sometimes, uh, but you know, it's always um, it's always a headline when they disappoint and don't win a gold medal, right? Yeah, you, you look at some some of the stuff on Twitter today and and websites, uh, various websites, and this happens every time Canada gets eliminated or even loses a gold medal game. What's wrong with Canadian hockey? So, I mean, they they, they did pretty well up until uh, today. I think there is an issue with goaltending. Mm-hmm. You wonder about goaltending depth. So uh, maybe it's a little more real this time around. But, man, there's so much pressure on those kids. And arguably, I don't even know if you can argue argue it, the Canadian kids more than more than everybody else. They could just feel how crushed the nation was uh, when um, when they lost that game and that, that goal went in with 11 seconds left. And it was just such a lucky goal, such a bad break. Uh, I, I feel for the kids, but... 
I think when it comes to international hockey in Canada, the, the good is outweighed the bad, but not today. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, I mean, hey, they won the previous two World Juniors, and if they have Connor Bedard and Zach Benson, maybe it's a different story anyways. And, you yeah. know, so, so things can always be a lot different. But what you touched on is goaltending. That is becoming a bit of an issue. Like, Reach and I were talking at the end of the previous segment as well about, yes, I mean, if you look at the forward group, the Canadian forward group is the best in the world. And if you compare it to the U.S., they're better there. You can make the case that the Americans may have better high-end defensemen, and you can certainly make, I mean, I I think it's indisputable that they have the better goaltenders. And I I don't know if we've been in in a spot like this where we look at our goalies and say, there's no true number one Canadian goalie, because like forever we had Luongo at least, right? Carey Price, and you go back even more to Brodeur and and, uh, Patrick Roy, and you know, go back even farther than that uh, with Dryden and all that. So, I mean, we've always had great goaltenders. This seems to be like a, a dry spell we haven't seen before. Yeah, and uh, I, it, it really, I mean, who would be the guy right now? I, I think two, three years ago, it's, okay, Jordan Biddington won, won a Stanley Cup, but things have gone a bit sideways for him. Probably uh, Carter you know, Hart, I guess. I Carter, Carter Hart was, yeah, but, you know, there's been some issues there as well. Yeah. Not a slam dunk, uh, give me that. And, you know, Devin Levi spent time in the minors this year. I mean, I mean, it's not like the Americans, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our backyard, De- Devco. Yeah, Hellebuck. There's just so much there. And, and Russians, same thing. Um, you know, it's just that there just seems to be way more depth. And, uh, you know, you, you talk to some people in, in the arenas and, and you know, with the Giants games, a couple of Giants games, and that subject did come up uh, a couple of Giants games over the holidays. And um, people are wondering about, you know, these academies and these elite teams, you know, and when they go play. And, you know, in some cases, I, I know it. You know, this is just the theory. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, you're playing on these teams that are so good. You're the best goaltender. You're not getting many shots. You know, you, you know, is this the way to go? The way, you know, these zone teams and these academy teams versus, versus the association teams, the old school way, would, would, did that make for better goaltenders where, you know, you're getting so many shots at a game and you're, maybe you're not playing in a high quality team, but you're getting tons of shots. You're getting tons of work. There's, it just, it just seems kind of strange now because, there are goaltending schools, uh, there are goaltending coaches, even at the small, uh, probably the minor levels, and yet we seem to fall behind. So it just it just seems like, like something's up. I, I'm just doing a quick look of, of all the Canadian goalies, and, and my uh, unscientific uh, prediction would be a couple of BC kids, maybe Aiden Hill and Tristan Jari are on the uh, yeah, uh, are, yeah, are yeah. on the uh, are on the radar. Jordan Bennington's probably there too. He's played well this year. And and Carter Hart, like those those are those are the four uh, right now. Yeah. Like those are the top guys. Yeah, yeah. and and like, Canadians. Like, yeah, and I and I was Mark Andre Fleury's not gonna. I I, I doubt Mark Andre Fleury would be around. I haven't yeah. I haven't heard you mention the Swedish guys, but I'm taking those guys. I'm taking the <laughs> Finnish guys, whoever they are, too, over those guys. Yes, <laughs> and definitely yeah. the Americans as well. So it's it's tough, Donnie. You might have to go and goal. Yeah, or hey, Luongo's been practicing with the, <laughs> right. with the Panthers, yeah. so <laughs> bring them back. Like it, it's just something. I mean, there was that pipeline out of Quebec for so long, and it's just not just not there. And I, I hope the powers that be are, are you know realize this, and you know maybe it's a case of the best athletes wanting to be forwards and defensemen and scoring goals or preventing goals as a defenseman versus being a goaltender. But something's up, and it's just it's 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 a big question mark that Canada hasn't had to face before. Okay, so uh, switching focus to to the Canucks, and um, you know we we moved to twenty twenty four here, and uh, this is this is the biggest question I wanted to ask you today, Donnie. Are you ready to believe the Canucks are a playoff team? Or are you still uh, are you still pumping the great yeah. brakes on that? Yeah. Well, 
<laughs> it looks pretty good. I mean, you know what? Like, I think a lot of people, I, this happened a lot, again, spending a lot of time with people over the holidays, that Philadelphia gamblers, like, oh, here we go, you know? Yeah. And then I think what a lot of people didn't realize, and even me, because I'd taken a day or two off, as you know, but it's like you looked at the standings and went, oh, hey, Philadelphia's having a pretty good se- having itself a pretty good season. Yeah. Like, I don't think people realize just how good of a job Tortorella has done there with a team that's really not that that that, that sexy, all due uh, respect. But that, that team's pretty good. Boring game, terrible game. The Flyers will take it. They're having a pretty good season. Uh, I think what probably upset the Canucks and, you know, uh, the, the fans who are knowledgeable and the media that's knowledgeable – uh, led by you two, of course, is that four-day break in between, you know, Philadelphia and this game tonight. It's like, okay, we had our break. Let's get this thing going. I realize they played more games than most teams, but it, it was like they needed to play a game right away. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they come out tonight, given the fact they, they've had another, relatively speaking, long, long break. We were talking about uh, areas the team can improve this season. Like, what, what is the one area that you think this team can do better internally? And we talk about external things too, but internally, what can they do better as a team to maybe keep this winning going? Well, the, the, the latest, uh, you call it a problem. I mean, they're top 10 in the power play, but I believe the stat is two for 22 in their last six games. And guys, is it, is it just me? Have you, have you noticed? I, I think they've, they've stopped moving. Um, the, the, the movement isn't there like it was. And now, whether or not that's by design, I don't think so. I just think it's something they have to practice and be reminded of. But I, I think you know that power play, and I don't think it's, it's long-term it's going to be a problem. There's too much talent there. Quinn Hughes is there. But certainly the numbers lately haven't been great. So that, that's something that, that they need to, that they need to uh, address. No question about it. It feels like... Uh... I I, uh, I said this earlier, but I, I just I'm not worried about it. You know, it's it, it's like the one thing that I'm not so worried about with this with this team, Donnie. You know, you you watch some of the the Philly game, and it's like, well, yeah, they could use some more speed. They could use some more yeah. forechecking. They they could probably use one more top six player if they really want to start being a contender, but. You know, the power play is just, it's still, it's still something that just feels like it's in a cold streak, maybe a, an extended cold streak, but one, there's still so much talent and we've seen it be so good even prior to this year that I, I expect they'll come out of it eventually. Well, and here's it. I, I agree with you. And Rick Tockett said as much, he talked, you know, something to the effect of, you know, things come in waves. I think their starts haven't been great, you know, over the past few, past yeah. while as well. You know, they, they coming out of the gate and with a really good coach and a great coaching staff, you, you don't expect that. But I think Rick Tocca would say himself, tell you himself that, you know, hey, look, our start, starts need to be better. And, you know, that's uh, that can be an intangible thing. Maybe it depends on who you start, what line you start, that sort of thing. But those, those definitely need to be better. So th- those are two areas. And, guys, look, we just mentioned top six forward. Could they use another defense? Every team is saying the same things. So personnel-wise, yeah, sure, they can improve. So could every other team, uh, I, I would think, even the teams at the very top, like Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Now, as far as what the team can do externally to improve itself, we know that Patrick Alvin and this management team is as active as anybody, more active than anybody when it comes yeah. to trying to find trade fits. Are you expecting to see at least one or two trades here by the time we get to the deadline at this stage? Well, look at the guy. I mean, what, six trades since September? I yeah. think 18 or 19 since he took over as as Canucks GM. And he has some help from, from Rutherford. 
I, given that, I would have to think, and the fact that it, it looks like they're going to be there for the postseason, I still have a little hesitation there saying that, but you know, likely in, in the postseason, I'd have to think they'll do something. And then, you know, they have expiring contracts as well. And if they, they're not confident, they're, they, if they can't, if they feel they can't sign somebody, or if they don't want somebody long term, then then I, I would expect that yeah, there will be at least one or two deals made before before the deadline. And I I, I still wonder how aggressive you'd you'd want to be this year. It's uh, it's been such a strong season, and for as much as it it feels like the window is is just opening, like. Do, do we have a sense of th- this is going to be a long window? I mean, they still don't have Elias Pettersson locked into a contract, Donnie. So there, there's there's like this this feeling of okay, it's it's good right now, but how long is it going to be good for? I think you got to go for it. I, you know, I think there's a belief in the organization. I know there's a belief in the organization that something special is happening this year, and, and we know in sports that things can fade fairly quickly. And or even if you do have a lot of talent, it might not mean that. Look at Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay's got so many good players. They're not in a playoff spot right now. Kucherov is a Hart Trophy candidate, maybe the the leading candidate. I think that they feel they've got they've got off to a good start. They've improved uh, defensively. Uh, they've got a healthy, outstanding goaltender. I, I think that you can't assume that you're going to be good for a long, long time. And I think I think in this day and age of parity. If you feel you have something special going, even if it's for one year, I think you got to jump all over it. Do you think Niels Hoaglander lasts a year with the Canucks? Yeah, I, I, I you know, I just, I, I think they take a lot of pride in the way he's played, um, and I think, I think that that gives him some staying power, and, because I think they'll take some credit behind closed doors for what's happened with his career. And the fact that you know he's you know been been he's fit in nicely on that on that in that top six when nobody thought he would so that would that would be my guess that he's sticking around. So we look at this uh, upcoming schedule here. Of course, Ottawa tonight, and then they've they've got this big road trip coming up through through most of January and. It feels like once they get through that, they've got a ton of home games through the back end of the season. They don't have that heavy of a schedule because, you know, they had the heaviest schedule in the league prior to Christmas. So uh, it, it feels like if they get through this stretch, Donnie, uh, and play, you know, at or at least a little bit five above 500, you know, it's it's kind of smooth sailing. And then you can really start to just uh, really, really figure out what you want to do and how you want to set yourself up for the playoffs. Yeah, the, the, the seven-game road trip—it uh, just is so crucial for uh, any team, but you know, especially one that has a history of maybe falling apart during a big road trip like that. Um, I, I, I just the, the, how important that is can't be stressed enough. I, I do wonder though, when it comes to the schedule, and you guys know this, even if you play, you know, beer league or minor league sport, whatever, with a minor hockey or lacrosse or whatever the case may be, I always like. And I know coaches I've heard say this, they like having, not necessarily having big breaks. They like the practices. But with like this, this last little stretch there, I guarantee Rick Tocchet hates it. Even though it allows them to practice and maybe work on some things, although NHLPA had them taking days off during the Christmas break, of course. But I, I, I think a lot of coaches like that rhythm of playing on a fairly regular basis. Uh, with the odd break, you know, uh, placed in there, 
And so I just, I just wonder what they, what they think of that. And look, they had a, you know, before that was a great start to the season. They had the first few months were outstanding. And I'm wondering how much, obviously the talent's number one and the coaching. I get that. But I just wonder how much they feel the rhythm of that schedule and playing those, that, that many games. And they got lucky because there weren't a whole lot of injuries. You know, there wasn't a rash of injuries. There were injuries, but not a lot of them. So I do, I do, I do, I do wonder how they're going to do in the second half, even though it seems like it would be favorable. Yeah, and, you know, as far as... Elias Pettersson is concerned. We heard the the rumor, so to speak, uh, with the Chicago stuff that came out <laughs> last week, yeah. and we had some fun with joking about it. I mean, listen, there's always going to be stuff that comes out. It comes down to how much weight you want to put into things. But it's one of those things that until he signs, Donnie, I think there will be a level of, uh, I guess, trepidation and some skepticism. And anytime when there is a bit of an information vacuum, people will kind of, you know, clamor towards whatever whatever little information they get. So is this going to be par for the course until he finally does decide to sign? or not yeah you'd have you have to it's vancouver people care and 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 he is um a polarizing figure it's he's just so hard to read um he he does interviews uh the one with elliot was certainly the deepest he's done you just it's just hard to read i mean he says he, he likes or loves vancouver but yeah, I, I think there's just a lot of mystery with him. And people don't know, and people criticize him not showing up in the big games against the the better teams in the league. You know, falling a lot, that that sort of thing. But the point totals are there. But it's just, it just there just seems to be a lot of mystery. Just it, you, you can't read the guy. Um, but the reality is, is he is an elite player. Now, you, when you hear eleven, twelve million dollars. I, I don't think he's in that league, but you know who else is not in that $11, $12 million league? A lot of the players making $11, $12 million a year aren't in that league. So it's really a, really mysterious with Elias Pettersson. I, I think I'm like a lot of people. I have no read of what's going to happen with him. Yeah, it can't be uh, worse than the uh, Jonathan Huberto contract at uh, one point oh, in all of December. Oh, my. <laughs> Rough. Oh. That's a tough one for Calgary. I didn't but, see that coming. Yeah, yeah. Not, not too many people in Vancouver shedding tears over that. Uh, Donnie, no. we appreciate the time as always. Happy New Year again to you and yours. Great to be back. Happy New Year, guys. Lots of fun. Uh, there is uh, Don Taylor, the great Don Taylor, joining us here on Canuck Central as he does weekly. A lot of uh, these questions coming in, Sat. Uh, Colin from the Caribou with this. Any new Kuzmenko trade rumors or whispers? I'd bet money that after the deadline, Hoaglander is still here and Kuz is elsewhere. That is from Colin and the Caribou bringing in uh, a take here on a Tuesday. Yeah, I might take the reverse of that. Um, Ooh. At, but I mean, if I'm if I'm guessing, listen, I'm not reporting anything. Okay, just yes. want to relax. We're just talking. Um, but. Somebody else said, wow, Hoagnander question. He's one of the few Canucks that have truly developed in years, Earl and, and Nanaimo. And he has developed. He's shown a lot of good things, but looks to be healthy scratch again yeah. here. Has 10 goals in the season, probably not playing against um, the Ottawa Senators. So he's coming yeah. out of the lineup again. What is that going to tell you about where he fits in? How is he going to fit in? And as we kind of outlined in the first segment, he's a player that you have to make a decision on. Yeah. Do you believe in him organizationally? And do does a coaching staff believe in him enough for you to think it's going to work here long term? Or do you cash in when a player still has a lot of value, as he has established right now? On Kuzmenko, and we'll get into this with Earth a bit more, it's just how likely is it that you're moving a guy that has another year on his contract right now? Yeah, at, uh, at that number. 
and especially for the value you want. Yes. Because they're not looking like a guy who scored 39 goals for them last year, they're not looking to just give away. No. And a player that you know they, they still believe in is having a bit of a rough time with the coach. We all know that. But it's still a player that you can't give up for free. And so you'd like to have something else coming in if you're moving Andre Kuzmenko. I'd say to like fill it potentially a top six role. That's maybe a better fit on a similar number. I don't know, but it just, it seems unlikely that they'd move Kuzmenko just to like get rid of him right now. Well, I mean, with Kuzmenko, we're talking about how the team can use another top six forward. You take Kuzmenko out, that means you need two more top six forwards. Yes. Uh, So you start to do the math and the math isn't uh, all that friendly. Uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. The uh, PWHL uh, began yesterday um, Toronto lost to New York 4 uh, Second game is on right now. Ottawa and Montreal. Another great crowd, too. Uh, yeah, sellout at, uh, at TD Place there in, in Ottawa. So um, really intriguing, like really good to see that uh, professional women's hockey has its own league finally and, yeah. and one that is combined to grow the game and something you can really get behind. Now, uh, there's one negative thing I would say. Uh, there's no team in Vancouver, but yeah. eventually I, I imagine that will come. The, the furthest West team they have is Minnesota right now. Yeah. So whenever they get to expansion, assuming that the league works and it looks like it will work and I don't see why it wouldn't, um, they'll get to Vancouver eventually, I would imagine. Would you say the over under is if the league is successful, which hopefully it is? At three and a half years? Like, does the league need two or three years to show that it's going on an arc where they feel comfortable expanding? Because yeah. the last thing you want to do is expand too soon well, before the league is ready to handle it. W- well, what you would do if you are exploring expansion, you can't just do Vancouver on its own. No. You can't put Vancouver on an island. Yeah, do you've Vancouver, got, Edmonton, Calgary, yeah, you've Seattle. Got to, you've got to do, like, a couple of markets um, in the vicinity so you can play... Yeah, it's for travel reasons, but also, like, you need Western teams. Teams don't want to be, like, a team in Vancouver doesn't want to have to travel uh, out to the eastern seaboard for every game it has to play. No, and, and you have to um, get, you have to be able to get some American markets involved, bigger picture, too. Yeah. Right? So it's, like, more American markets. And is Seattle at a, at a point where they can also support a women's hockey team? Probably. I mean, the you way they, they support NWSL yeah. and the, the, uh, the WNBA. NW, WNBA, you know, I, I can't see why they wouldn't um, support something like it's this. It's one of the best sports towns in the U.S., oh, Seattle is. unbelievable. Yeah. I was there on Saturday, and it was just, like, littered with people. Like, Pittsburgh jerseys, Vegas jerseys. It was yeah. just, like, everything was happening all at once as they were getting ready for the football game Sunday and then, of course, the Winter Classic on Monday. The other thing I like about the BWHL, they have the correct point system. Finally, a hockey league with the correct point system. Three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime or shootout win, and then no points if you lose, I think, in the in the shootout. Um, if that were to be the point system in the National Hockey League, Vancouver would be the number one team in the league. Yeah, by far. Now the most 71 reg- points. They have the most regulation wins. Yeah, they'd be like 20, what, 10 <laughs> wins away from clinching a playoff spot. <laughs> Or five I, I don't wins, know yeah. why the NHL does not go to <laughs> this sort of system. And I know it's because Gary Bettman wants to uh, have fake playoff races come the end of the year where everybody is like bunched up together with 82 points. Like, oh, we still got a chance in the final two weeks. No, you don't. Stop it. You're lying to yourself. All right. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah coming up. Irfan Gafar is going to join us on Canuck Central.